Hi there, and welcome to Even If, a weekly podcast about standing firm when life is shaking. I'm your host, Kelly Strife. Strife rhymes with wife. And together, we're finding the courage to approach uncertain and unwanted seasons of life through a posture of faith that stands firm and declares, even if he doesn't, he is still good. So I was having a conversation with my counselor a few weeks ago, and this was maybe mid to late March. And it was when COVID-19 had picked up speed. We were social distancing and quarantining at home, and we'd started to feel the effects of it, but we didn't quite realize how long it was gonna last yet at that point. We were still in that stage, like the world, the country was still in that stage where I think it felt like this was gonna be a very uncomfortable, unwanted blip on the radar. This was gonna take us out for a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months, but we didn't quite know yet that it was really gonna take us out for months and months and months. And I guess we still don't know how long we might be out at this point. And so we started this phone call, Zoom, because that's how we were having all of our meetings. And she asked me this question. She just said, you know, how are you feeling about all of this? How are you processing? And ultimately, how is this affecting you physically and mentally and emotionally? How is this affecting you? And I think she'd been talking to clients all day, so she'd had a lot of conversations about this already. But when she asked me that question, I realized that, you know, this wasn't really affecting me as much as you might think. And you definitely could have thought it would be affecting me a lot because at that time I couldn't even go into a restaurant and order food because if they didn't have what I ordered, there was a good chance I was going to break down in hysterics in the restaurant. So it was a fair question. And it actually surprised me too. But the answer was that maybe it wasn't affecting me as much as I would have thought. We were definitely feeling the physical effects. We were feeling the fact that a lot of Peter's work had been canceled and that we were kind of stuck at home and trying to figure out shopping and food and how to exist in this new reality of quarantine. But mentally and emotionally, at least at first, it didn't take me out. It didn't pull the rug out from under me. And I think that part of that was because after losing Imogen and after everything that 2019 had thrown at us, Imogen dying and then my dad being diagnosed with cancer and then we got pregnant again and then we miscarried. And after walking through all of those things, it felt like, oh yeah, really? This is the best you can do? Like what's coming next? You think we made it through all of that just for a little worldwide pandemic to take us out? You're gonna have to do better than that. I don't want to test that. I don't want to find out if that's true, but it just didn't feel like this was that big of a deal in the scheme of things that we had experienced. We had a whole new perspective on loss. And if I'm completely honest, and I don't say this with any joy, I don't take any pleasure in saying this, but in a lot of ways, I think that when the pandemic hit, it kind of leveled the playing field for me a little bit. Loss and grief can kind of make you feel ostracized and alone. And it felt like the whole world was still going on like normal all around us. People were still just moving forward. Their lives hadn't been completely upended and torn apart and their dreams were coming true and their prayers were being answered. Yes. And so I think that we very much felt like we had been alone. We felt like we'd been isolated from what was happening with everyone else around us. And so it did kind of feel like we were a little less alone. Not everyone else's lives were moving on like normal anymore. 
Maybe other people were walking through loss and grief and pain and disappointment and unmet expectations and plans that were completely turned upside down because grief has this way of making you feel really disconnected. It makes you feel like you're disconnected from the person that you've lost. You're disconnected from the people around you who can't really understand what you're going through. And you even start to feel disconnected from yourself because you're having these reactions to things and these emotions are coming up and it doesn't feel like you have any control over them. You're kind of getting to know yourself all over again and you're not completely sure you can trust yourself because you might not react the way you think you would or that you would have before. So somehow this season made us feel a little less alone and a little more connected with other people. But it's also shown us that a lot of the things we've learned over the last year have left us more prepared to handle the unexpected and to handle the unknown than we were before the year came. That's not really a lesson that you want to learn. That's not a lesson you want to need. But sometimes in grief and loss, you're looking for the things that you can hold on to. And that might be a gift of this season that we're a little more prepared to deal with these unexpected things. And one of the things we've learned by necessity, not by choice, but one of the things we've learned is to really hold on to things loosely. And quite honestly, some of that comes from a place of fear. If I'm being completely honest, some of that is a place of feeling like maybe if we don't get too attached and if we don't hold on to things too tightly, then it won't hurt as bad if they're taken away or if they're lost. But a lot of that, I think, comes from a place of surrender, from a place of offering. It's a posture of opening my hands, aware that, first of all, I'm not in control and I'm more aware of that than ever. And second of all, that everything I have belongs to God and that everything I have, every good gift that I have ultimately belongs to him. And I've talked with you before really early on about this moment, this encounter that I had with God when I was processing through my grief over Imogen and feeling like she was stolen and that she was taken and I felt like I'd been robbed. And God invited me to present her as an offering. He said, no one can steal what you willingly surrender. And he showed me that as long as I held tightly to Imogen, then she was a theft. But when I released her to him, when I surrendered her to him, then she became an offering. And that was kind of the beginning of my processing of this idea of surrender. But recently I've had this whole new picture of surrender. Because while we've been grieving the loss of Imogen, we're also praying and asking God for things here on earth, for desires that we still have in our lives and for prayers that we're still asking him to answer. And up until now, they haven't been answered, yes. They haven't been answered affirmatively and we're just seeking his direction and seeking his voice and asking him what's next and trying to figure out what he's responsible for and what action steps we are supposed to take. And so in this season, this new image of surrender has come to mind. And it's kind of shifted my perspective because I've always pictured the idea of surrender as opening my hands. I've always thought about it less like a come out, come out with your hands up and more of a come to God, come to me with your hands open kind of faith. This idea that we're holding loosely to what God has given us, that our hands are open. But recently, the picture of surrender that he's given me is that it actually isn't so much an opening of our hands as it is a laying down of our lives. That when we think of surrender, we're thinking far too small. 
We're thinking in terms of individual things that we offer up to God. Yes, God, I'll surrender this dream to you. Yes, God, I'll offer this gift to you. Yes, God, I'll let go of this desire. I'll trust you with this prayer. Yes, God, this and this and this and this and that. We're offering him things one at a time from our lives that we pick and choose. But if surrender isn't this opening of our hands, but a laying down of our lives, then it's much bigger than what I've envisioned. While yes, there might still have to be a re-releasing of things along the way. Yes, there might have to be a one at a time offering to him. It's ultimately a surrendering of everything God wants to do with my life, of everything God wants to do through my life, of everything God would give me here on earth and everything that God would ask from me here on earth, that it all belongs to him. And that might be a simple mindset shift. It might just be semantics for some of us. But for me, it was incredibly important because it reminds me that it's not that everything I have is his, but everything I am is his. Everything I am belongs to him. The essence of my being, everything that makes me, me, everything that makes up my body and my mind and my emotion and my desires and my dreams and my gifts and my calling, everything is his and everything can be offered in an act of worship to him. And so it's less about picking and choosing which thing I will let go of today, and more about a posture that everything I am is his, and everything I am I want to be used by him. I don't want to hold on to anything on this earth that would keep him from using my life in the most beautiful way possible. And Jesus tells us, and this isn't really a surprise, this has kind of been a revelation to me, but it really shouldn't be because he makes this really clear in scripture. And I've heard these verses before and I've learned these ideas, but sometimes there's that moment where it goes from being something that we know in our minds to something that we embody with our being. And so these verses might be familiar in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. He tells us what he asks of us. It says, Then Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I think for those of us that are living out this even if faith, for those of us that are committed to saying, even if he doesn't, He's still good. Even if he doesn't, we will not bow. For those of us who are in seasons where even if has changed to even when, and when we're committed to saying, even here, God, you are still good and we will not worship anything else. I think there's an invitation in the middle of this season, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our suffering, and in the middle of our loss, to not simply surrender one at a time, the dreams and the desires and the plans and the passions and the hopes that we have for our lives, but to offer our very life to him, believing that if we seek to hold on tightly to it, we'll lose it. But when we offer our lives for him, we'll find true, lasting, eternal, fulfilling life. Life that lasts, life that stores up in heaven what we could never contain here on earth. For some of us that are in the middle of pain and suffering and grief today, this feels like a giant leap, that it's too hard to make. And it might be too hard right now. It might be too soon, and it might be more than you can offer today. In the months after Imogen died, 
opening my hands, prying my hands open to offer her to him was an act of worship with every part of my being. And I don't believe that God was asking anything more from me in that moment than just to surrender and offer her just like that's a small thing. But I do think there's an invitation on the other side of that at the right time when God says to us now, not will you offer me one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. It's not a collection that he's storing up. But when he says, will you offer me your life, your story, your legacy, your all. And the difference here is that one says, God, I'll decide what you can use and when you can use it. Tell me when you want something else and I'll see how I feel about it. And the other says, I'm giving it before you ask, before you need it, before you're ready to use it, which is a whole new level of trust and surrender. And I know it feels like too much to ask. But once you've surrendered the things that matter most, it's kind of like, what else do you have to lose? When coronavirus came, for some people, this has completely rocked their worlds, understandably so. But once we'd walked through the last year, this wasn't a hard path for us to take. Once we surrendered Imogen, it's not that there isn't pain in letting more go. In some ways, it feels extra unfair, actually. Like, seriously, you'd ask for more? Wasn't she enough? But in other ways, it feels like we've taken the hardest step. And if we were going to surrender her, then we're certainly going to surrender everything else. Everything else feels minor after that. But this is our story a year later. This is after hundreds of hours in prayer and thousands of dollars in counseling and millions of tears that have been shed. I won't rush you to get here. But when you do, the invitation stands to view surrender less as opening your hands and more as laying down your life. And that's when you'll find it after all. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Even If. My prayer is that even if your knees are weak, today's episode offers you enough strength to keep standing firm. See you back here next week for the next episode of Even If.